0: Gold Street Garden family, it's Pastor Dominic. So honored to have you join us for another podcast episode. We are hot in the trail of a brand new series called Living From His Presence. There is so much wealth and invaluable truth to be learned in the pursuit and the perpetual habitation of His Presence. We pray that today's teaching would bless, encourage, and challenge you in your intimacy and knowledge of Jesus. You can follow us on all social media platforms to stay up to date with our latest content. Enjoy today's message. Happy delay there. So, what I want to do tonight is we're going to go over one main passage, but I want to read this right before we do it because it'll go right into where we're at. We've been talking about living from his presence, and tonight, uh, is going to be the same thread, but oh, it's going to be so freeing tonight. How many people want to be more free? <laughs> uh, so, tonight is going to be just one of those nights where I, I really believe people are just going to f- levitate and float out the door. We're just It's going to be one of those nights where just, just, just go with his glory, understand the majestic gospel, and in James chapter 1... You don't have to turn there because I'm going to get you somewhere else, but if you would like to, you can. If you're taking notes, I'm going to just read the first two verses of James chapter 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Everyone say scattered abroad. So James is speaking to the Israel, All the tribes of Israel, he's speaking to them, but they're all scattered, okay? Now, why would they be scattered? Maybe it's because all their friends' heads are getting cut off. I know that that kid, wow, you went there so quick, Pastor. Maybe it's because their friends are getting crucified upside down. Why, Why are they scattered? Because things aren't peachy. They're scattered abroad. So James writes this book as a letter of encouragement because he sees that Christians are getting very tired. They're, they're hiding. They're getting, and I, I want you to know that we have to steward the freedom we have right now. Say amen to that. You, you need to steward the freedom that we do have to preach the gospel right now because there's going to come a time that it's not going to be some of us, and I, please don't take this as condemnation, but you, you need to wake up. Sometimes we are concerned about telling somebody if God loves them just because we're concerned about what they think. What happens when the persecution level is you can't even talk about Jesus or you die? Do you see the difference? How the enemy tries to get us at a place that persecution, we have not experienced persecution on a certain way. And you're like, I thought you said tonight was going to be a freeing message. What is going on? Like, you know, you're saying, but go with me here. Scattered abroad. And this is what James says right after, after that. He doesn't give a hoorah. Like, it's all okay. This was all, you know, he says this. My brethren... Remember we talked about this a few the week. Count it all joy. Everybody say that out loud. Count it all joy. What are you talking about? Count it all joy. People are being martyred right now. Things are crazy. We are all over the place. Count it all joy. And it says, when you fall into various trials. did you? Does, has anybody ever just said, Lord, give me some trials. You know, like, uh, sign me up, right? It, does, it doesn't say, what does it say? When you fall into various trials. Trials are promised, but it's not something you sign up for. It's something you fall into. You're, 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 you're going about. Christian walk. You're loving Jesus. I know there's Jesus lovers in this place. In fact, I love worshiping with you all every week and every time we get a chance to, because I know that people in this room love Jesus so much. And it's such an honor to have a community like that because it's rare. In fact, I saw somebody post something the other day and he said, I, it was a friend of mine that I haven't talked to in years from Maryland. He's having a hard time just kind of like finding uh, community of people that just are sold out for Jesus. I told them about the River Baltimore, but it's still just the fact that they, when you find a community of people that love Jesus, that are going after with everything, and that you actually have friends there, and community, like, you can, you gotta hold on to that with everything. Do you hear me? You gotta hold on to it with everything, because it's rare. It's actually rare. You would think it's not, because there's churches everywhere, but I think we would all agree that there, there's, you have we have to understand that there's a lens to see what's going on, and there's a language that gets communicated, and it's called intimacy. It's called, it's called just Jesus alone is the message, and not everybody gets it. And when it says you fall into various trials, I want you to know that there's people in this room that sometimes you get taught or you have heard things about the gospel that the gospel is just to make everything in your life better. No, the gospel is learning he is everything. It's different because Paul proves that in a jail cell, we've talked about this, he proves in a jail cell that he's rejoicing in the Lord because his joy and his life, the source of life, is not dictated by a situation or location. He has found the well of life that he has learned to host life so he doesn't have to look for it in the natural. When people, when you get to a place that you're wondering, well, why hasn't God come through or why hasn't this? You, you're forgetting that you host him on the inside, yeah. that we have to get this in our hearts. So when you fall into various trials, you have to understand that you have to be prepared. Did you, I, I just want to be real with you all. You will all have a family member or a friend, and you've already experienced that has. Gone on to glory, or maybe they didn't know the Lord. Like we got to be real. Has, that, has everybody's been to a funeral before of somebody you know? That it's a it's it's a real loss in in a situ in a situation of time in the natural, and if you don't know who God is when things like this happen, you know faith. I the the most genuine faith is what you do when you don't know. The most genuine faith is what do you do when you don't know? When you can't just do the little faith dance. You can't just do, like, what, what happens when a trial hits in your life? And I, I want you all to know that God God's will is to heal. God's will—I I'm, I'm t- I, I know that a lot of us hear that from—and I want you to know that I, I fully believe that God is the healer. I fully believe that God wants to prosper us. I fully—but there are things in life that happen, and if you only live based off an idea of comfort of who God is, but He's not your comforter, but it's just an idea of who God is, you're going to get. Your lunch is going to get eaten by the enemy. He's going to take, you have to be prepared for these things. Because what does it say right after that? I said I was only going to read verse 2, but it, right after that it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So why does God allow trials to happen in our lives? It's because it provokes you to dependency, It provokes you to intimacy. And that's why when you fall into situations where you don't know, it's actually God revealing to you why did you think you could before. He's actually drawing you closer to a place where you become more successful, which leads us to our main passage tonight. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say this real quick. Say, I'm a branch. (laughs) You're like, what is this? I'm a branch. This is like, this is what, what do you mean I'm a branch? You know, I wanted to actually name the sermon, Stop Stressing, I'm Just a Branch. You know, it's like, you know, if you really understand your role in the kingdom of God, you would never be a boastful person. You would never be a prideful person if you really realized how your job, your real role is to literally just let Jesus everything in your life. He's already done everything. And our main passage tonight is John 15, which is when Jesus says, I am the true vine. I want to set the stage for this. Please hear me. So the gospel of John is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Me personally. Uh, I love the Gospel of John. I have I have invested so much time in that book over the years that my tears fill every page in the Book of John. There are tear stains all through the Book of John in my Bible, and I I have a couple of Bibles, but I love this one so much because is anybody like that that you just have a that you may have a couple other Bibles to study, but you have a you have this is my home. This is my this is like if 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 I would this is like a family member, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like this Bible, and I have tear stains in the gospel of John, and I know I have tear stains in many books of the Bible, but John, the, the thing about John that is so powerful is he, he got something about Jesus while he walked with him that nobody else got. He, he was the disciple whom Jesus loved, and his gospel account he spends a large amount of his content just articulating the conversations and teachings that Jesus had. A lot of the other gospels talk about the miracle accounts, they'll document genealogies and things, but a large amount of the gospel of John is conversations and teachings, private teachings to the disciples that none of the other gospels cover. You know, so when you read the gospel of John, you're actually reading a lover of Jesus who has an ear that won't miss a single word he says. You have somebody that's acutely listening, hanging on every word Jesus says like it is the treasure of his world. And so when you read the Gospel of John, particularly the, 13, the ch- chapter 13 through 17 is all within a week time, within a few moments. That's, you know, there's, there's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John, and he took, he took five chapters that are just in a short amount of time that just talk about everything Jesus communicated and said as he's coming up to the cross. And in John 13, it's when he washes the disciples' feet and he shows them humility. It's at the Last Supper. He, he prepares food for them, and, and it's the Last Supper. And we're going we're to just go to that chapter for a moment, in a few moments, because it's so important that you see. But Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He talks about his love. And then in chapter 14, he talks about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Everyone say the Comforter. Now, He's showing them humility, and then he's talking about the comforter. In John 14, 26, it says, But the comforter, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I've said to you. And then he even goes on to say, Let not your heart be troubled, my peace I give to you. You know what Jesus is doing? Do you know the disciples, for three and a half years, because this is coming to the end of Jesus' earthly campaign, for three and a half years, these boys have been invincible you know what I'm saying? They've been walking around with Jesus, okay? Could you imagine walking around with Jesus in the flesh every day, watching him walk on water, turn bread and fish into the bonefish grill? No problem. Just a couple, like, I mean, doing Michael Jackson moonwalks on the water. You know, we're talking like he, the, the disciples felt untouchable, invincible. They felt like Let's just be real. This is like a, an, a perpetual season of fruit and favor. So this is going on. And then all of a sudden, Jesus has been telling them he's going to the cross for quite some time. But they kind of, sometimes you can ease off what's really going to happen. You can masquerade some things that you got to really deal with because everything's just going so good. And, you know, Jesus starts saying to them, he starts washing their feet and saying, you know, you need to love like I have loved. You need to serve like I've served. Because what does he start? He's starting to prep them because he's about to vamoose. He's about to leave. And not in a regular way. This is going to be graphic for these guys. Could you imagine somebody you walked with for three and a half years in the flesh that's your best friend that has taught you it's been your mentor getting his flesh torn from his body? Do you think that's a little graphic? Does that seem like Sunday school church? That's graphic stuff. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to send a comforter that your situation's about to get really really uncomfortable. And you're going to look for comfort all around you, but take heart because I'm sending comfort within. I'm going to place my presence within so you don't have to look for it through friends. You don't have to look for it through family members. You don't need somebody to tell you everything's going to be okay because I'm in you singing it as well. And so he's preparing him. He's like, I'm going to send you a comforter. And then in John 15, we get to this place where I got to say one more thing. Just to, in the gospel of John, there's, there's seven I am statements. Has anybody heard of that before? That just in the gospel of John, there's seven I am statements. Now, I am is very important because that's how God introduced himself to Moses he said, Moses said, well, who will I say is sending me? And he said, tell them I am has sent you. So when Jesus is saying I am seven times, you know, people that try to even use the Bible and say that Jesus isn't deity. Well, just tell them to read the gospel of John and see how many times Jesus said I am. Okay, well, that's a separate thing. But, but the seven I am statements, I want, I want to show you because it's very keen for where we've been is that the first one is John 6:35 he says I am the bread of life. So what is he? He's our food, he's our substance. John 8:12 I am the light of the world. You can't see anything without Jesus. I am the door in John 10:7. So you have I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I am the door and then in John 10:11 I am the good shepherd. And then in John 11:25, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Then in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, guess what the seventh statement is? I am the true vine. Now, why is this interesting? Because, you know, we're big on numbers around here, and we've just taught on rest a few weeks ago, and seven was the number that symbolized God's perfection and his rest. And Jesus' seventh I am statement is I am the true vine. Why is that significant? Because he's taking us back to the garden. I am the true vine. I am the tree of life. I, and he he addresses this so quickly that I want you. When we're reading this passage of scripture tonight, I want you to start reading your Bible like I'm going to talk about it. Is that okay? I want you to ask questions when you're reading the scriptures to yourself to allow your mind to be renewed. It says, Jesus starts out, he says, "I am the true vine." Everyone say that. "I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser." Now, now why would he say this right here? He's saying, "I am the true vine." And my father is the vine dresser. So he is saying that I am the garden and I am the life which springs from the garden. But my father is the one that tends to it and keeps it all together. Now, you need to know something. If you, and when you read the Old Testament, every time a vine was referred in the book of Isaiah and so forth, it was talking about the nation Israel. And every time the vine came up, God was not happy with Israel. Every time he talked about the vine, you know why he wasn't happy? He said, Israel is not producing any fruit. And he would say judgment is coming because Israel wasn't being a what? A good vine. So how does Jesus start this out when he's speaking to Jews that would know the scrolls of Isaiah? Instead of saying Israel is the vine, what does he say? I am the true vine. So what is he declaring? He's declaring that for years and decades God's people have tried to produce fruit but they are not able to. So I have come to the earth and that what you could not do I'm going to do for you and better and that you are going to produce a fruit that is everlasting. You've been trying to produce with your works and trying to keep all the commandments and you haven't been able to but I have come to be the true vine and my My father is not going to judge you. He is going to judge me, and he's going to see that I am righteous. He's going to see, and you are going to live vicariously through me. Amen. So he is the true vine. And then you keep reading. Now here, what does it mean that he's the vine dresser? Some of your translations would say husbandman. This says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. He takes away. He cuts away. And then it says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Everybody say, he prunes. Now, I'm just being real. If I was a plant and somebody came at me (laughs) with scissors and starts cutting, What does the Bible say in Hebrews 4.12? That the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. What prunes us? This book. Getting in this book and finding out all of a sudden, I got some pride in my life. I need to allow this to prune out that pride. I need to get things out. I got to let God cut. That's why at the altar, when you see people fall over at the altar, the Bible talks about Uh, Paul fell off his horse on the road to Damascus by the power of God. Uh, Jesus, he said, I am, and all the Roman soldiers fell. You know, when people fall in the presence of God, that's God's operating table. And that when you get still in his presence, all of a sudden he's like, snip, 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 this is gone, this is gone. I I did you all a favor, and I watched some really boring documentaries on grape vineyard pruning (laughs) this week. And I watched it because I was like, "Lord, I, I want to learn something here." And then I would fall asleep, and then I'd have to watch it again. Um, it's not my, not my favorite. But one thing that stuck out to me was the really successful vineyards for grapes, they prune 90 percent of. The branches from the previous year of harvest. So just think about this. What did the Bible just say? Does, it says, he, what are the two things God does? He removes the branches that don't produce fruit, okay? Number one. And then the second one, he prunes the branches that are producing fruit so they can produce more. So if you're producing fruit, get ready to get pruned, you're like, I didn't sign up for this. I thought that it's all just great all the time and that, and that all this is good and that we just keep saying I'm blessed and highly favored and we don't have to go through a trial or a tribulation and we just rebuke it and just act like it's the devil and we just shout. About no, <laughs> that, that he prunes those that produce fruit. You know why? Because what happens is a bunch of clutter gets in and with grape. Vineyards specifically, they actually have to tie the, the branches down to a standard because if they just want run around whimsically and grow whimsically, it actually ruins the harvest. That it needs structure. It needs to be tied down. Did you know some of you, this is why God's word, it's, a, it's an anchor for you. It gets you tied down and then it helps you to produce fruit. Some people are like, I don't need, I don't need to do this. I don't need to do the book. I got this. I got that. No, you need God's word to tie you down and then you need it to snip out the things that don't belong. Now, with this being said, he goes on to say this right after this. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, doesn't this almost seem... We- I, you know how I told you I love John? I love the Gospel of John? As much as I love the Gospel of John is as much as it confuses the heck out of me sometimes. And I, the reason I, I, I'm so candid with that take is because John is always talking on another spiritual level, um. Have you, if you've ever read the book of Revelation, you're just like, what, what is going on? Like, this is just madness. Uh, but he was so intimate with the Lord that he would see things, hear things that nobody else could. And he was documenting and writing. And even when you read the Gospel of John, sometimes he's speaking on a level that you need the Spirit of God to be able to read the Gospel of John effectively. In fact, if you don't know this, the Gospel of Mark is one of the best places to start. If you just got, gave your life to the Lord because the gospel of Mark was actually written to unbelievers on purpose. It, it actually helps break things down for new believers. But the gospel of John is actually like, it's, it's, it's super deep. And a lot of people love it, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. It makes faith. And when he says you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you, The word clean and the word prune are very similar in the Greek. You know why? Because if you are pruning something, what are you really doing? You're cleaning it up, right? But it seems really weird that he would say this, and this is why I want you to go over to John 13 real quick. We're going to pivot real quick. Because what did Jesus say? I'm going to read it one more time in verse 3 of 15. It says, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Now, in John chapter 13, if you did not know this, Jesus identifies Judas as the betrayer in John 13, okay? What did God say? That every branch that does not produce fruit, what? Gets cut away, and every branch that is producing fruit is going to get pruned. So in John 13, I'm just going to skip down to verse 8, and Jesus is washing all the disciples' feet, and then he gets to Peter, and Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. Doesn't that sound humble? It does actually. In the world's eyes, because what is Peter saying? I'm not worthy of you washing my feet. Like, don't even come close to my feet, Jesus. Like, have you we've walked a lot. It's like this is bad Peter feet going on. You don't, you don't, you don't want to wash these these bunions. You know, you do know, like you, don't, you don't, like he's like, you don't want to get close. He doesn't want that, and he says this, but then. Jesus answered and said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Okay? But then, check this out. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So isn't it awesome how Peter just, he went from, don't touch my feet, to give me a bath, Jesus. I'll take all my clothes off. Do what you got. He's like, he's like Come, Peter, but aren't we all thankful for Peter? Because I think he, he reveals he reveals somebody wearing his heart on his sleeve. He says a lot of the things we're thinking when we hear Jesus talk in scripture. I'm gonna, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna say, Peter, thank you so much for opening your mouth all the time and just, and thank you because we learn from it. I'm thankful for Peter's mistakes. I know that sounds crazy, but I, I, I hope that my children, and other people, are thankful for the mistakes I've learned from, right? That's what the Bible is. It's a book full of a bunch of misfits and failures who decided to never lose their eyes on Jesus. And so check this out. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. What does he say? You are clean, but not all of you. Isn't this very similar to what we just... You are clean, but not all of you. This is why when you read the Gospel of John, it's very cryptic almost. That he, he's connecting phrases from an event, hoping that you're going to carry it to the next event because he's outlying who Jesus is as the Son of God. And he says, you are not all clean because he knew who would betray him. So when we go back to verse 15... Or Chapter 15, if you jump back over, when he says you are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, did you notice he, he's saying you're all clean, but before he said not all of you. So he's actually giving us an example that God has already began to cut away the branches that aren't producing fruit. God has already cut Judas off. Do you see this? No fruit cut off. Now, I know that this is sobering, but this is what I need you to get. There are people that are following Christianity because of a position, because of a persona. Some people are just saying, I'm a conservative Christian. But really, they're just a conservative that tries to act like a moral Christian, but all their values are just American only. They don't really view him as the source, they just view him as an additive to their ticket to get elected. Cut off! What the vine dresser does. Jesus is the vine, but God is the vine dresser. And if he doesn't, what is the fruit God is looking for? Well, Galatians five twenty two through twenty three tells us about the fruit of the spirit. But did you know it? If you ever read it closely, it doesn't say plural. It doesn't say the fruits of the spirit. A lot of people misquote it. It says the fruit of the spirit because really the only fruit of the spirit is love, and everything else is an expression of love. Patience is an expression of love. Self control is an expression of love. That what is the fruit God is looking for? He's looking for the fruit of Christ. Because he's the life. If, if he is the vine, what should be the fruit coming off the vine? Christ. It should be Christ. So if people are faking following Jesus, just saying that they like certain things about the kingdom, there's coming a time where God is saying, cut it off. No fruit. It's actually preventing my bride from fulfilling their destiny. Get the access off. Get the fakes out. I I know that I'm not in a room talking to people in this arena. Hey, and if you are, you don't have to be cut off. You don't have to be cut off. You can understand that it's time to start producing fruit. But what is God, what is Jesus showing us in this parallel? That Judas gets cut off, but he says, I will prune those that are producing fruit. Well, who's producing fruit? Peter is producing a lot of fruit. And he's about to get pruned. Hard core pruned. He's about, Jesus actually told him, you're going to deny me. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine? God actually is giving him a sneak peek at his own trial. <laughs> Do you know why God does that? So that way when Peter does deny, he realizes that, God told me that I would do this and that he's still here loving me even though he knew I would fail. You know, isn't that beautiful? That God prophesied his failure just to show that I'll love you even though I know you're going to screw up. You're going to deny me. I'm actually calling it now, but I'm still going to love you the same, and I'm going to empower you even more because it's time to prune you, Peter. It's time to prune you because you're going to deny me now, but then when the Holy Spirit comes and gives you comfort on the inside, you deny me one moment, but in the next moment, you're going to be willing to be crucified upside down because you're going to allow fruit to bear. Is this helping anybody? So you see the pruning, but we haven't even got to. Verse 4 says this, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Now, just check this out. <laughs> I love simple. Jesus is so simple here. Do you know why he's being simple? Because he knows the disciples. We just said this. The disciples are about to see their hero get led to the slaughter. And I didn't bring this detail up before, but when they're in John 13, they're in the this upper room having the Last Supper. Then John 14, they're talking about the Holy Spirit in the Last Supper context. But then in John 15, when he starts saying the true vine, they're actually walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're walking to the place where Jesus is about to be betrayed by Judas. And so he, when he's talking this teaching right now he's letting them know that you're about to get pruned and you're going to think that God doesn't love you because this is what happens in church that we don't hear about that sometimes it's like if everything's not going good you must be doing everything wrong and there are areas that that is true and that you need correction in but there are times that there's a trial that comes there's something that comes and people are like oh this person is this and this person is that you know Jesus, even remember in John chapter 10, the man that was born blind, the disciples are walking. They're like, I wonder why this man is blind. Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? Jesus said, neither. Do you know why he said neither? He's because there's so many Christians that are talking about why people are having problems instead of just being the solution and going in and saying, why? It is still day. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna love people. I'm gonna go. I'm not gonna talk about this and gossip about this and try to diagnose this. No. So Jesus heals that blind man, but then it's also this: they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus knows that all the disciples are going to see him get crucified. They're all gonna be scattered, they're all gonna run. And Jesus is telling them this because he's letting them know, you're not going to be ready for this in your mind, but I'm telling you these things now. So that way, when the, when the stuff hits the fan and you don't know what's going on, you can be assured of this, that I am God and that I am with you in the middle of this situation. And you might be trying to measure if I'm faithful based off what you're seeing. Look inside. I have, when Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you, So many times we think he's going away to prepare a mansion. He went away to prepare your heart. The place that he prepared is your heart. And he's saying that there's going to be moments. I mean, what was going through the disciples' head? They've seen Jesus walk through, they've seen Jesus do all these things. And now their hero is hung on a cross. They're probably questioning. The enemy's coming in. Was it a lie? Let's just be real. If you walked around with Jesus for three and a half years and saw him do miracles and then you see him on a cross with his flesh hanging off, are you going to start saying, was this a lie? Was this all made up? But Jesus was preparing them with his words. He said, you are clean because what is a husband supposed to do for his wife? Wash her with the word. The word. Jesus kept speaking the word over his bride, which were the disciples, washing them, cleaning them, getting them ready for this situation, priming them. But this is his example. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. See, I I was taking a walk today and I just pulled a a branch (laughs) and I was, you know, When you think about this branch, you know, this is why you got to watch how the enemy allows people to get so prideful. Because even if all of us in the room came up with our best strategies, we couldn't make this live or produce any fruit. Why? It's not attached. It's not attached to life. There's, There's nothing, like, even if this branch was like, <clears throat> and wanted to try to produce something, it couldn't do it. It just could not do it. And the fact that we're a branch, do you know what our main responsibility is? It's to stay attached. He, he brings the life when we're attached. That's why he says, abide in me. He, he gives an elementary example because he knows that his boys are about to get challenged to the highest degree. He's like, he's like, guys, I'm gonna make this really simple for you. If you're like this, you're dead. Make sure you stay attached. <laughs> wow, that's deep! He was making it so simple. And I, I even, even tonight, I'm just thinking to myself, like, I I don't have to do it just because of where we're at, but I brought duct tape, and I'm just explaining, like, some of us, we attach our our branch to our our phones. We try to find our... You you know how stupid this looks? That... (laughs) Here's life. My life is in the phone. Or we even... what, What else looks dumb is if I try to find my life in a person just looks weird and it's pointless there's no life no matter how much I put this in her shirt or whatever I try to do it never produces life but the thing about Jesus is that the spiritual realm isn't limited to what we see and that when we attach to him when we abide in him we begin to produce life we produce fruit by abiding in him. And you need to know this because you're going to come to places in life where the enemy is going to get you to question everything you believe. Some of you have only been with us for a, a few weeks or a few months. There may have not been something in your life that's called, you know, I, there's people that are even probably watching right now, and they know that I'll get on them when I don't see them around because People are going through things, amen. I know that, that I, I, it's, when I say they're going through things, it's so important that we realize as a body of Christ. When you know, and I, I, when we get around, when somebody's name drops in your heart, you gotta pray for that person. You gotta remember what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, "Peter, Satan has asked us if you like we, but don't worry, bro. I prayed for you." There are people that the enemy is trying to get you to question everything because of a circumstance right now or because of a situation, not realizing, just begin to let the Father prune you. Just say, Father, I want to produce more fruit. You know what? I think we should change our prayer life a little bit. We should start saying, God, I know that Jesus is divine. You're the gardener. Cut away. I want to produce more fruit. I want to produce more fruit. And if you want to produce more fruit, you got to get ready. Because what did I say earlier? A, a grape vineyard, they'll cut away 90% of last year. You see, sometimes you may even be running into a place where things are going really well. Everything's increasing all around. And all of a sudden, it just seems like 2020 happens. Something crazy happens. And then all of a sudden, you have to ask yourself, okay, Am I attached to the vine or am I attached to my job? Am I attached to the vine or am I attached to these, these things? And I'm all for standing up for the freedoms that we have and all that, but I think you all hear what I'm saying, that there is going to come a time where Christianity is not a luxury in America. It's not a luxury in the world. Do you know how much the enemy hates God's plan? He hates it with everything. And I haven't said this in a while. I was talking to Nate today at the barbershop. And, you know, the the Antichrist, it's so important that you understand he says Antichrist for a reason. It's not anti-Jesus. It's not anti-Savior. It's Antichrist. And what does Christ mean? Anointed one. The enemy is against the anointing because the anointing breaks the yoke of every bondage. So the Antichrist spirit, what would he be against? He's against a Holy Ghost gospel with everything because the, whole, the, the gospel has the anointing on it which breaks the yoke of every bondage. So any way he can suppress the message. But guess what? Persecution is pruning and it actually makes the bride stronger. It allows us to produce more fruit. That the enemy's trying to get us to forfeit our harvest by avoiding the pruning, when it's actually the pruning that produces the harvest. Do you see that? And it's, it's placing ourselves here, so then verse five, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Everybody say, I'm a branch. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. I, I, this is so liberating, because how many times, and I, I just want to be real with you. I think we all have fall victim that, you know, even with church, you know, things can start getting to a place and you're like, oh, wow, this is really working. Something's really working and you can get confident in a method. You can get confident in a strategy. And you know what God's waiting for? He sees you getting a little confident on that. And he's like, time to prune. And he'll do it with you, with your businesses. He'll do it with you and your families because he doesn't want you producing fruit that doesn't come from the vine. And that's why pruning takes place because he needs to show you he is the source. And remember the woman at the well? In John chapter four, once again in John, Jesus is sitting on the well. Why is he sitting on the well? He's sitting on her source to challenge her who the real source is. He does this all the time. He'll sit on what you think is your source just to have a conversation with you about who's really your source. Let's have a conversation real quick. Are you relying on this, or is life coming from me? Is it coming from the vine? And then it says... He it does not abide me. He cast out as a branch and as withered. Now this is where it gets a little daunting. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. What are the branches that don't produce fruit? Where do they go? This is serious. This is why you need to make sure you're attached to the vine. You're not. A, you don't want to be attached to an idea that's comfortable to you. You want to be attached to the vine. And there's things in the Bible that, when you read, the Bible does talk about suffering. Not suffering is sickness. Not suffering. I'm talking about persecution. I'm talking about moments when you don't know what's going on. Do you know faith is submission even when you don't understand? Like, I don't ever understand it, but I know you're good, God. I know that you're going to lead me through this. I know you're the door. And then it goes on to say, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. This is something happening that when you begin to abide in him, all of a sudden his value system gets put into you. God is not saying, you see, have you heard this verse quoted out of context before? Hey, ask God whatever you want, and He'll give it to you. It says it right here in John, fifteen, seven. Well, actually, you just jumped over a couple pruning verses. <laughs> Don't detach from the pruning and just think you can get whatever you want. We all know those kind of kids. God's not raising those kind of kids. He's raising an army, an army that is willing to be pruned. So that way, God's pruning off all the desires that don't belong so that your only desire is your kingdom come. And he'll give it to you because that's his desire. (laughs) Finally, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. What did Jesus say that they will know you by? They will know you by your love in John 13. So he's saying he wants you to bear much fruit. And I just want to keep reading real quick. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Everyone say abide in his love. Can you imagine Jesus speaking this to the disciples before he's about to be betrayed? He's like, abide in my love. He's getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat tears of blood for them then be taken away and beaten to a pulp. And he's just trying, he's like, please get this. Please remember to love like I loved you. Please remember this. Like he's, he's, I can see him pleading with them. Like, remember how I've loved you because I'm not going to be here in the flesh anymore. And he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. The word of God is so important. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. God wants to increase your joy that the more you abide in him, you no longer find joy in the things of this world. You now find joy in his presence. You find joy in him. You've, I don't think there's a lot of us in this room, like when we do outreaches and stuff, like there was a time in my life I'm like, What do you mean go and tell people about I'm not going to waste my day to go tell people about I'm going to go party. I'm going to go, what do you mean? But all of a sudden, seeing the twinkle in someone's eye, when you tell them about Jesus, when you see a child receive something and you get to tell them about the gospel, it does something to you. Your value system changes because the devil is trying to convince you that your joy is tied to this world. But God is bringing us back to the garden. Showing us that joy that is truly ours. And then it says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one that lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. How many people are thankful that God chose you? You have to understand that God chose us, but he did not choose you because of how great your works would be. He chose you because you knew how to be a branch. (laughs) Surrender is the most powerful thing. Yielding to him. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you these things. I command you that you love one another. And then he goes on to say, if the world hated me, guess what? They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. And that's when you have to ask yourself if, if the world agrees with our message, are we preaching something wrong? It's it's serious, you know. You, I I I want to actually. I want I hope this is the most sobering moment of the night. I try to say this a lot. I want to make sure with everything that my life is as in line with this book as possible. Because deception is running rampant. Do you hear me, beloved? Do you hear me, saints? Deception is running rampant. We could come into times in the future where you can't gather freely not because of a virus or anything, that's just some dumb, whatever, you know, all the, I'm, I'm saying there could be a time that it's just, you can't do, and, the, and we're going to have to know the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to know this book more than anything, and I want to tell you all this tonight, that you have to know Him, you have to know Him, and that's our, the one thing we talk about more than anything, that Nobody has to explain to me who my wife is. I know who she is. I don't need an explanation. I have a revelation.